0: When news broke last week that the FBI was searching Mar a Lago, it took Ankush Cardori a few minutes to process the headlines.
1: Honestly, it, w- it was momentarily surreal. Truly.
0: Ankush writes for a couple of different news outlets now, but he used to work for the Justice Department. He's gotten used to the agency's cautious approach to Donald Trump, so he was stunned when reporters confirmed that the DOJ sent federal officials to retrieve classified documents from the former president's home.
1: Is this really happening? It's so, you know, assertive and unexpected, but it was crazy. It was really crazy.
0: Now Ankush is trying to slot this piece of information into the bigger picture of what we know and what he knows as a former federal prosecutor himself.
1: <laughs> it's like endlessly vexing because you get these kind of data points, but then you try to say, okay, if I were prosecuting or investigating this case myself, like what is the full gamut of information that I would want or need to kind of reach some sort of informed decision? And it's always way, 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 way more than is publicly available.
0: What's publicly available is that there's a whole constellation of investigations into or related to Trump, both his administration and his business. But the signal to noise ratio is what concerns Ankush when it comes to these open inquiries.
1: Because they really are kind of all over the map in varying stages of progress and sort of public obscurity and being conducted by various people. And I think there's a lot of smoke. I suspect a lot of people have not been able to follow the ins and outs and the differences between all these things closely. And there are, you know, meaningful differences.
0: The search at Mar-a-Lago felt like a familiar moment to Ankush an opportunity for federal prosecutors to engage with the public about their approach to the former president. Ankush worries that this opportunity is slipping through prosecutors' hands.
1: There are often these pops of news. We get a little bit, and then all of a sudden, it's kind. there's a huge vacuum, and it's filled in with all of this speculation for weeks, if not months. I just think in these times, historically, it's been a very sort of perilous time for, I think... Uh, earnest news consumers, and I'm afraid we're maybe in the middle of another one of those periods.
0: Today on the show, Ankush Kardore is going to shade in some of the context that Justice Department officials are so hesitant to explain when it comes to the potential misdeeds of the former president. I'm Mary C. Curtis, filling in for Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick around. Ankush Cardori doesn't begrudge anyone being a little breathless in the wake of the FBI search at Mar-a-Lago. It's a big deal.
1: The fact that there was a search of Trump's home, it is historically unprecedented. And I think understandably attracts a lot of people's attention because obviously we've had, you know, at least one presidential candidate actively under investigation in a campaign season. That was Hillary Clinton, whatever one makes of that investigation, right? But there was nothing as dramatic as this. This is more intrusive than any law enforcement action so far as I can tell that's ever been taken against or concerning a former president, regardless of whether or not he's charged or not.
0: Could you remind listeners, because they probably forgot, what was the significance of the Hillary Clinton email saga? And how does that relate to the law at the center of the classified documents taken from Mar-a-Laga?
1: Obviously, we all went through a very public saga involving Hillary Clinton and her emails. Look, factually and legally, there were significant differences. The fact that, you know, the FBI conducted a fulsome investigation and then came to the view that based on sort of really largely discretionary factors that they weren't going to charge um, Clinton, um, I think is a potential resolution that we may see here. But of course, You know, politically, Trump really hammered Hillary Clinton on that investigation used to his benefit. It is absolute height of irony that he's now under investigation for doing something even worse potentially uh, than she did, not in like a I'm wishing for this man's downfall kind of way, but truly in like just a cosmic literary sense. It is quite ironic and amusing. So, yes, I mean, it hovers over this over this investigation in in a sort of um, atmospheric way. But I think for the people at the Justice Department, it will be extremely important to them uh, in terms of making sure that there is as much of a one to one relationship between how they conducted that investigation and this investigation. And I imagine Merrick Garland being someone who's been a judge for 20 plus years is going to be very, very attuned to that. It's something he talks about all the time, making sure people are treated equally.
0: Trump is no stranger to being investigated. <laughs> by a lot of folks. And he's been playing cat and mouse with federal investigators for years. Does this action, this search, change anything, move anything forward?
1: You know, there there are several different kind of investigative streams involving Trump, even today, right? And I'm referring to whatever it is the Justice Department is doing concerning January 6th. We've had investigations all the way going back to Mueller, the couple of impeachments. And, you know, I'm not sure that Um, This one is materially different just yet, but I kind of suspect that one of, if not the principal objective of the search last week was to retrieve the documents. I'm a little skeptical of the notion of a prosecution here.
0: Why are you skeptical? You know,
1: obviously, like the sort of the handling of sensitive government information by high level government officials is something that has been kicking around um, the public for a while, not just the Clinton investigation, but also Sandy Berger, who, you know, some people may remember, like, absconded with things from, like, in his socks at one point, and then he paid a fine, and that went away. General Petraeus, who gave classified information to the woman he was having, uh, um, you know, a sexual relationship with, so that she could write a book. That pled out uh, in a misdemeanor form. Uh, He didn't serve any actual prison time. And so, like, I think a lot of people are looking at the four corners of the statutes that are at issue. And that's certainly one significant part of the analysis, obviously, which is like, what do the statutes prohibit? But then there's also this other body of kind of government practice, things like, you know, was this intentional or inadvertent? Is it particularly bad material and material that he shouldn't have sort of a personal interest in maintaining? And those are the things I think that the government is just sort of necessarily going to be looking at. And that we don't have um, really much insight into at the moment. I mean, obviously, you know, we got this inventory of what was taken from, from Mar-a-Lago, but it was very, very high level and, and pretty vague as these things tend to be.
0: Now might be a good time to perhaps go through how many open cases there are against Trump. Can you briefly run through them?
1: So, okay, so at the federal level, we now have this documents issue that precipitated the Mar-a-Lago search. There's also what we know that the government is doing, the federal government is doing with respect to January 6th. And I say what we know, but that's been, of course, a bit of a moving target in terms of um, whether and to what extent that they've really been pursuing Trump himself aggressively as opposed to sort of people around him or low-level rioters. But we do know that there is an investigation concerning January 6th being conducted by the Justice Department and has picked up steam in the last few weeks. I think it's been um, sort of maybe affected to some extent by the hearings that we had over the summer. But that's sort of another sort of aspect of the federal in- investigation that has some relevance to Trump. And then you have like these other investigations, which are at the local level of varying degrees. There's there's still, as far as I know, there's an active actual investigation being conducted by the Westchester um, County District Attorney's Office into whether Trump misled local tax authorities about the value of a, a golf property there. There has been the New York Manhattan DA's investigation of the Trump organization and his finances. But, but otherwise, there was reporting from earlier this year indicating that the newly elected Manhattan DA had decided not to charge Trump for the time being. So it looks like that, that one is of lesser concern to Trump in the near term. And then we have the Fulton County Georgia District Attorney's Office investigating some combination of Trump's call to the Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, and the efforts to sort of create alternate or quote-unquote fake slates of electors in the state.
0: Now, we know that he did plead the Fifth Amendment on one of these cases recently. So how much does that matter?
1: He pled the Fifth in the civil investigation that's being conducted by the New York attorney general's office. They deposed Trump last week. He took the fifth sort of hundreds of times in terms of like the relevance to the criminal case by the DA's office. Obviously, he's invoked his fifth. So that's not going to have any collateral negative effect on whatever remains of the criminal investigation by the DA's office. However, as it relates to the New York attorney general's civil investigation, it's very useful to them because if they eventually sue the Trump Organization and or Trump and other people in the Trump Organization on some sort of theory of financial fraud, they can use Trump's invocation of the Fifth Amendment in a civil case in order to get an adverse inference from the juror about what he would say if he had actually testified. So it could be quite significant to to the attorney general in its civil case.
0: So how far along is the Department of Justice on these investigations uh, and these other entities on on all of these cases and investigations?
1: That's an excellent question. I think we gotta kinda gotta take them one piece at a time. So, you know, on the documents issue, it's a relatively new investigation, right? The first report that precipitated all of this scrutiny was back in January related to, you know, the National Archives achieving the boxes. Then there was a grand jury investigation open time in the, sometime in the spring. And then as we've seen from this reporting over the summer, really in parallel with the January 6th hearings, there was back and forth with the Justice Department and Trump's lawyers. I would not assume that they will see anything in the way of charging decisions, if they're ever in real charging decisions anytime soon in that one. With respect to the January 6th investigation being conducted by the Justice Department, I mean, that one remains a bit of a mystery. Obviously they have 800 plus cases relating to the rioters, but in terms of um, the Justice Department's focus beyond um, the rioters, You know, for the most part, it seems that the department moved a little slowly last year in terms of scrutinizing the conduct of people in the Trump White House and his campaign, but that at some point late last year, they decided to focus in in particular on this sort of alternate slates of electors issue. As for New York, as I mentioned, on the criminal side in the DA's office, for the time being, it's effectively dormant as to Trump. That could change, but for the moment, he should be feeling pretty good about the status of that. Let me put it that way him or his lawyer. As for the civil investigation the New York Attorney General's office is conducting, it does look like they're getting closer to filing a sort of significant civil lawsuit against the Trump Organization, alleging potential fraud on the part of the Trump Organization, potentially naming Trump and or his kids or other officers of the Trump Organization as defendants themselves.
0: So it sounds like last
1: but not least. Oh, oh, oh,
0: there's another one I forgot.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, I was gonna say. Then you have the Fulton County investigation, right? That's going on in Georgia, where there's been quite a bit of investigative activity very recently, including subpoenas to all of these electors, subpoenas to Rudy Giuliani and to Lindsey Graham. There have been disputes that are getting resolved against these people as they're trying to fend off these subpoenas. But those disputes are still very much ongoing, and, and that one too is like a bit of a wild card because it does seem like that investigation is picking up steam and potentially re- reaching a point where they're going to make charging decisions. But there too, like every other criminal investigation that's being, you know, anyone that we hope is competently conducted, a lot of it is is outside of public view.
0: But it does sound like that one might be the fake electors one that would be the most likely to go to trial, perhaps, because they are, as you said, there's a lot of action on it.
1: Yes, I think that's a fair read of the situation to say, like, if among, uh, among all of these, if you were kind of saying, well, which one do I think is kind of the most likely to return potential charges against Trump himself? I would tend to agree. It's probably that one. One of the reasons is this is a, a prosecutor who's, who's operating outside of the bounds of kind of the standard Justice Department kind of, you know, protocols and bureaucracy, right? So she has the flexibility to move a little bit more differently than everyone else, she's also a political actor. Right, she's politically elected, so she may have different incentives than some of the other folks. But I don't think that we should confuse that observation with the suggestion or conclusion that this is still a serious threat to Trump. And the reason why I say that is because uh, obviously it's not going to be good if, for some reason, the Fulton County somehow decides that they're going to criminally charge Trump. However, it is not the same thing as the federal government criminally charging Trump, particularly if Trump decides that he wants to run for re-election. And I think, you know, you know if Trump is actually running for re-election, I think things are going to get very messy, both legally and politically, in ter- if there's ever an indictment, because there's something, at least to me, that intuitively seems sort of off about a local prosecutor being able to put an active presidential candidate potentially on trial in the med- in the middle of a campaign season much less like somehow convicting him and imprisoning him before the election or after the election. So I, like, I think the practicalities here are going to start mattering if these cases progress in this way, in a way that people haven't really fully contemplated just yet. So I think when people are thinking, oh, Trump might even get indicted for this and that, even if that comes to pass, depending on who does it, it may not achieve sort of the sort of outsized objectives or hopes that many people who dislike Trump have.
0: More after the break. I'm Mary C. Curtis filling in for Mary Harris. The Department of Justice has made an effort to clear the air since the FBI searched the former president's home at Mar-a-Lago. But Ankush Kadore thinks federal prosecutors could do more to keep the public informed about this case since it is so consequential and since Trump and his allies have tried to spin the situation.
1: I would have liked to have seen a little bit more disclosure, if not about what precipitated the search, and I can imagine that's very, very sensitive, and about sort of the status of the investigation and more to the point, really, these other investigations and what, if anything, has been going on with them. Because I think I don't think it's been healthy, really, for the country to be in this situation for the last year and a half, where Justice Department is doing something that people to varying degrees, and based on the reporting in real time, have been speculating about over the last year and a half. And for this to just be lingering and hanging out in the air with everyone kind of doing their best to kind of peer into Merrick Garland's mind and kind of understand what's going on. I don't think it's healthy. I don't think it's necessary. I kind of don't even think it's really appropriate at this point for for us to be operating in the dark here.
0: Now, Attorney General Garland has cited federal law ethical obligations that prevent him from sharing too much about the search and about so much that's going on. Does that explanation have merit?
1: Yeah, it has some merit. It doesn't, it doesn't, none of those restrictions prohibit the sort of disclosure I'm talking about. The Justice Department has a, has a, media policy that says they gen- generally do not comment on ongoing investigations, there's an explicit exception in that policy if there's a basis or a reason to reassure the public that the Justice Department is investigating something. So just imagine you know, when there's a terrorist attack or there's a potentially like racially motivated hate crime, right? It's not unusual at all for the FBI or even the Justice Department itself to say, we are looking into this for potential X, Y, and Z reason. Um, It doesn't obligate you to keep the public uh, updated on every twist and turn, right? But it it apprises the the public that you are looking at something that has understandably attracted public attention. There are um, constraints on uh, potential disclosures on the particulars of what's happening in an investigation and certain material that the government may have obtained. But again, those restrictions wouldn't prevent necessarily like sort of topical sort of high level disclosures that I have in mind. I think the notion that the government is somehow, like, fully constrained or prevented from commenting on an under, uh, on an ongoing investigation is, is really overstated.
0: How so? How so?
1: Well, first of all, Garland himself demonstrated in his press conference last week that it's not as true as many of the people who yeah. uh, have been saying it would have you believe, right? So, like, we heard this for days, and, you know, all Monday night, Tuesday, Wednesday. Oh, he's not, going. you know, he can't comment, blah, blah, blah. Well, yeah, he can't. And he, he, he demonstrated one way in which he can and one reason for which he can, which is to, to help to ameliorate public confusion being caused by Trump himself. Current and former prosecutors don't like talking about this. But let me just be very real about what, the, what prosecutors can and do do when they have a case of public significance. They, if they charge someone, they'll often use a speaking indictment which includes a lot of detail that is unnecessary to include in a charging document detail that they include so that the public can have it. They hold press conferences when there are charges filed, right? And they say a lot of things that are not in the indictment when those, when those uh, sorts of press conferences are held. Obviously those are all post-charging disclosures, but even in the pre-charging stage, you know not to be flip about it but i don't know who everyone thinks is the you know the 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 senior government official with knowledge of the investigation <laughs> who is quoted in a lot of the news stories we have often these are coming these sorts of disclosures not always but in significant cases the justice department will brief reporters off uh, off the record or on background i did it once when i was at the justice department i conducted an on background briefing with a reporter who was interested in writing about a significant investigation I was working on because I wanted that person to get the story right and because it was important to the department. I went through protocols to do it. The public affairs office was involved. A public affairs representative was on the call. So these things happen. That's just the reality of it. The government has more tools available to it than the typical like kind of say nothing mantra that I think a lot of people believe is like really, really sort of a strict rule. I mean, I think Garland kind of suggested obviously that he was seriously constrained, but he did leave room open for further disclosures as the investigation proceeds.
0: Do you think that the department of justice under Biden wants to create that different tone that they are content to leave some of these questions unanswered, even if that means some people will think in it- interpret that to mean inaction? Do you think that's just what their style is, that they want to do this intentionally?
1: Yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> no, I, I, I think that's why, like, I, I, you know, I don't think that their position is frivolous. I don't mean to suggest that. And it is kind of the norm, you know, a presumption that little, if anything, will be said about an ongoing investigation. It, It, it is sort of the norm. But like I said, in significant cases, and this is, you know, almost as significant as it gets, given the nature of, you know, given the person who we're talking about and the fact that he might be running for president again. Uh, I think it it warrants the Justice Department thinking a bit more outside of the box. And I was heartened to see uh, uh, them do that last week, to be honest.
0: I wanna pitch it forward a bit. And we've talked a little bit, you've talked a little bit about you know, Trump not downplaying or distracting from all the exposure, using it to support his witch hunt narrative. So how does this play into a possible presidential run in 2024 for him politically and legally? And is there a universe in which this search and all of this renewed attention on Trump is good for him?
1: Politically, it's unclear, I think. I mean, certainly he acts as if he thinks it's helpful to him to be in an adversarial posture to the Justice Department. Whether he actually believes that or not, as anyone's guess, because the other the other aspect of his publicizing these investigations that has been maybe sort of less less focused upon that we've talked about it here is that it serves not just a political purpose. It serves a legal purpose, too, which is to complicate any efforts to pursue him to potentially inhibit cooperating witnesses from coming forward, not in an obstruction type of way, but simply because. You know, if you're someone who maybe is on the on the bubble in terms of like, oh, do I have some information that's useful to federal authorities or that would might incriminate President Trump, you're probably gonna think twice about that if you think he might be the president again in 2024 or you know, taking office in 2025 and that he can pardon anyone and everyone he wants to. So politically, I think it's unclear. People are posturing at a minimum as if it's helpful to him. Legally, the run is very useful to him. I mean if you are under any sort of or in the vicinity of any sort of federal criminal investigation and you have even like a fairly, you, you see yourself as fair, having a fairly low probability of ever getting charged and you had a realistic chance of being able to stop the investigation by replacing the attorney general in a couple of years, you need to think very seriously about exercising that option among, uh, uh, among the other potential legal tools and defenses you might have available. That sounds pretty awful when I say it like that to many people, I'm sure, but it is the reality. I mean, he is potentially putting himself in a position to obtain the most potent legal tool imaginable to fend off, potentially shut down, whatever, any kind of criminal investigation that may be ongoing as of the end of 2024. You know, simply running, that can exert its own effect, not just on the politics and the media coverage. But even on potential legal developments, right, during the Mueller investigation, Trump, you know, was fond of, quote unquote, dangling pardons. He's going to be able to do that again if he runs.
0: It may sound awful to some, but it also sounds like a smart play. It's the
1: smart legal strategy to be seriously content. He has to. And I'm sure
0: he is. Ankush Cardori is a former federal prosecutor who specialized in financial fraud. He's a contributing writer for New York Magazine's Intelligencer and a contributing editor at Politico Magazine. That's the show. What Next is produced by Madeleine Ducharme, Carmel Delshad, Elena Schwartz, and Mary Wilson, with help from Anna Rubinova, Jarrett Downing, and Anna Phillips. We are led by Alicia Montgomery and Joanne Levine. And filling in this week for Mary Harris, I'm Mary C. Curtis, columnist for Roll Call and host of its Equal Time podcast. I'll catch you back in this feed tomorrow. Thanks for listening.